Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Thursday night edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen, 704-570-1110. That's the telephone number as always. And guys, follow me on X at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest in breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. Okay, so we've got a lot of things that we're going to get into today. I mean, obviously, Kamala Harris, the vice president, was in town. I covered that. Scott Hamilton went to the CMPD press conference to talk about the 2023 crime stats in Charlotte. But we're going to start off tonight with this. Riley Gaines. If you don't know who Riley Gaines is, she's the former University of Kentucky swimmer who over the last 18 months has gained wide national fame. Riley rose to prominence when she was a swimmer at the University of Kentucky swimming for the national championships. And her senior year, the NCAA allowed a giant of a man who identified as a female to compete against women for the national championships. And not surprising, this person was winning and getting trophies and everything else. That person goes by the name of Leah Thomas. Well, Riley didn't stand for this. She's like, this is not fair. This person should not be swimming against us. The previous three years he was in college, he was swimming against men. Why all of a sudden is he now allowed to swim against women? So she has been taking this nationally and has made this a national fight. She spoke here in Raleigh a few uh, few months ago. She spoke in Congress. She spoke at states all over the country about trying to keep males who identify as females out of girls' sports, out of high school girls' sports, and out of women's college sports. They are males. Let them stay in their own lane. And she's been going around the country promoting this and the advocacy for women. She's actually like, look, this is about women's rights. This isn't about transgender. They're still males. And so she was like, like, at the end of the day, their muscle structure doesn't change. Their lung capacity doesn't change. Their heart size doesn't change. Their bone structure doesn't change. It doesn't matter what you do. At the end of the day, they're still bigger, stronger, faster. And it's not fair. So she's become extremely famous, extremely good on some side and not so good on the other side where the hardcore left and the trans communities and the gay communities and a lot of them do not like her and they consider her the Antichrist, if you will. But she's far from that, obviously. And she's extremely eloquent in the way she speaks and handles herself. And you would not believe that she's just, you know, a 23, 24-year-old. You would not believe that she's only been out of college for 18 months when you hear this. This is a woman who spoke in front of Congress and spoke in front of the North Carolina legislature. And now I was the only one to get a sit-down interview with her when she came to Charlotte yesterday. So here's the first half of my interview with Riley Gaines. The last 18 months... Can you even begin to describe what has transpired over the last 18 months? No, because I never would have imagined that it would be necessary to. Uh, It blows my mind. You know, you think about the platform you're able to build uh, and the impact that you're able to have and the relationships that that you maintain and form simply for saying men and women are different. Uh, Like I said, it's just mind-blowing. I never could have prepared for this. This, of course, is never something I wanted to do, even still. Um, 
but you see a need and you're willing to fight for, for the need that you see, especially when you see people in powerful positions, leadership positions, who aren't willing to do so. Uh, so never could have imagined this, but here we are. Well, you've become the face, the poster child, if you will, of trying to protect women's rights in athletics. And you've also become the poster child of being, you know, an- or transphobic. <laughs> it's both of those things. And your, your response in Capitol Hill, well, if I'm transphobic then you're a misogynist. And that gained a lot in national recognition right there. Did you have that particular statement just waiting to use it? Or did it just come to you naturally? So I I wasn't prepared to use that by any means. Um, I, of course, was sat on the other end. I was on the witness table and ranking member Lee, a Democrat representative from Pennsylvania, she starts reading her opening monologue. Uh, And in the the first sentence she says is she says, you know, I can't believe I'm forced to sit here and listen to this transphobic bigotry. And it hit me in that moment. I mean, I was really like, truthfully, I was heartbroken because, I mean, this is the beating heart of American democracy, really the Republic uh, Congress. And I just got called a transphobic bigot by a sitting member of Congress. I mean, what a sad, really a sad thought. But it hit me in that moment. Why is it that being pro-woman is immediately deemed anti-trans? And by their own logic, wouldn't being pro-trans inherently be anti-woman? And what do we call someone who's anti-blatantly obvious at that anti-woman is we call them a misogynist. And so if we're going to do the whole name-calling thing, and I'm not saying I'm trying to stoop to their levels, but if, if that's really what we're going to do, then by her own standards, she's a misogynist. Uh, and it just hit me in that moment. And so I was debating saying it because I never want to be disrespectful. Um, but I found it necessary to say, and like you said, so did the overwhelming majority of Americans. Speaking with Riley Gaines, so you came to North Carolina. You spoke in front of the General Assembly to talk about uh, the Fairness in Sports Act that wound up ultimately being passed that the governor tried to veto but was overridden. Um, I know that you, you know, you met with the Oklahoma governor as well. And then I saw the statements that you made about the Ohio governor actually vetoing it. How many of the states are you going to trying to promote this particular side? Gosh, I've been all over. Uh, Now, North Carolina actually being the most recent, uh, there are 23 states that have enacted some sort of fairness in women's sports bill. Uh, And I don't know the exact number, um, but I've been to probably just about every single one of them. Uh, like I said, this has been an issue now that I see, I see the trajectory of it if we don't have people willing to do what is right, willing to advocate for what is right, willing to advocate for truth and common sense and fairness and for women. Uh, so that's, of course, the stance I've taken. And, and speaking to North Carolina here, in this state, uh, it was like pulling teeth, even trying to get you know some of these Republican senators and representatives on board. Uh, and as you mentioned, Governor Cooper, he vetoed the legislation, which he joins a long list uh, of Democrat governors doing just this in Kentucky and, and um, uh, Kansas and Arkansas, Louisiana, um, all of these governors. Now Ohio ha- has just joined the list uh, with Governor DeWine actually being a Republican governor. Uh, so anyways, there's been a lot of work here in North Carolina. There's been a, wa- a lot of women, young girls, lose out on opportunities, be injured here in the state of North Carolina. Um, so it's, it's certainly been a battle here in this state, but ultimately um, we've prevailed. So good news. 
The scariest moment, was that at San Francisco? Probably. Um, that's something that's become increasingly common, which is, again, pretty sad to think about. All, again, for saying men and women are different. You're met with some of the most intense, hateful vitriol that you could ever possibly imagine. Uh, so in San Francisco, I was attacked. I was punched. I was ultimately held for ransom for four hours where these protesters demanded that if I wanted to make it home to see my family safely again, I had to pay them money. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I've had people show up in my house. I've been spit on. I've been, you know, had drinks poured on me, bottles thrown at me. Again, just the most obscene things you could imagine people have said. Uh, but I'm willing to take it on. Uh, again, that just doesn't really scare me uh, long-term because, um, you know, my faith keeps me grounded for one. Uh, but I just am able to keep into perspective uh, that's not the majority. That is a very, very loud minority. Because of what's happened now in your notoriety and your fame, um, I know, saw the podcast that you did with Sage Steele on OutKick. You were the first person to actually get her to talk about ESPN. And that's really hard to do for someone who's never been in interviews and to do interviews like that. So are you comfortable in your new role? In the Because you're in the media now. You're one of us. <laughs> oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> no, I am. Um, you know, you you learn to adapt um, by no means. Again, going back to a year and a half ago, uh, I think back to my college public speaking courses I had to take and my face would turn the color of a tomato. Uh, and truthfully, about you know understanding our government, and I'm ashamed to admit it, I knew nothing. I knew we had three branches, and that's about all I knew about our civil process or civics in general. Uh, but gosh, I've learned so much, um, and I'm increasingly becoming more comfortable in front of a camera or with um, you know those the bright lights in your face. Um, you you just learn, and I'll tell you, Sage Steele uh, has been a role model for me. She's someone who is so kind and so genuine and always smiling, even in, in dealing with all the adversity and different things, lawsuits, all the things she's had to deal with. She is someone I truly admire. And I, I've met some really incredible people at ESPN. I think as, as a whole, uh, we know that ESPN is, is somewhat of a sinking ship owned by Disney and, and all that junk. Uh, but Sam Ponder, what an amazing human. I mean, I've just developed some really incredible friendships uh, with these, some of these women, even some of the men. David Pollack has been just absolutely stellar um, as well. Again, someone who's really strong in his faith. Um, and I'm so grateful for that, uh, realizing and understanding that even kind of these large, uh, I'll use woke for lack of a better word, companies and organizations uh, who have been infiltrated with a lot of the DEI policies and different things, there are some really incredible people there who, who want to do the right thing. They just have their hands tied. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I told you she was extremely good. So when we come back, I'm going to follow up with a little bit more questions, and I'm going to start off with a question about something that she did that went nationally viral. Millions and millions and millions of people saw this, and we're going to talk about that when we return. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen on this Thursday night. So we're going to continue with part two of my interview with Riley Gaines. 
the fascinating woman that travels the country that tries to talk about how things can be dangerous and just not fair for allowing men who identify as women to be allowed to compete in female sports. So when we left off, we were sort of talking about ESPN, but wait till you hear about something that she did to a former ESPN employee that went nationally viral, like crazy viral. So we're going to start off with that. So here's part two of my exclusive interview with Riley Gaines. Speaking of ESPN and some of the old guard, you did something that went extremely <laughs> viral. And it, it just, it, it, it took the country by storm. And it really did. When you did your response to Keith Oberman, how surprised were you that he even came after you and then said what he said? You know, I was, um, well, first of all, I didn't know who Keith Oberman was. Uh, so when this old man with like gray hair, who, if just looking at his social media profile seems to be senile, starts attacking me, I'd ask my dad, like, dad, who is this with my dad, of course, being, uh, you know, playing sports his whole life and, and watching ESPN. It was always on in our household growing up. My dad said, oh my gosh, Riley, you know, he was one of the ESPN greats, but of course he's fallen off. And so I'm looking at this. Uh, knowing that he's worked with ESPN and his attacks were to me uh, was he said I wasn't a good swimmer. I wasn't an accomplished athlete. Uh, So being an ESPN reporter, you know, my mind was kind of blown. And so I I thought to myself, you know, my motto has been don't punch down. Uh, Don't give these people the attention they really want. But I truthfully, I, I couldn't resist myself. And so I made this video um, with some of my accolades, which includes, you know, uh, you know, five SEC titles, SEC record holder, which makes me one of the fastest Americans of all time, SEC scholar athlete of the year, SEC community service leader of the year, uh, 12-time All-American honors. And so I made this video back kind of displaying some of these accolades. Um, and it, it did. It, it went pretty viral because I think a lot of people, uh, they noticed <laughs> – Keith Olbermann and have also tried not to give him attention, but it was like, finally, someone clapped back <laughs> at this man. So, yeah, that was comical. Just a couple more minutes here with Riley Gaines. I'm curious, when all of this started in the Leah Thomas thing and the Swimming National Championships, were there people in your ear telling you to be quiet, not to say anything? Of course. Um, and I'll tell you, it's people who agreed with me, even. People who said, well, well we know this is wrong, but you know, just, just be kind, just be respectful, just, you know, it'll be over, we'll sweep it under the rug, and then you can move on. Uh, but that wasn't good enough for me. Um, I'm very fortunate to have an incredible athletic director at University of Kentucky who never once tried to silence me. Uh, actually, quite the opposite. He told me, Riley, speak your heart, stay true to your convictions, know that we are behind you. That didn't happen anywhere else. That didn't happen at any other university. Uh, my coach was really phenomenal with me, um, Lars Jorgensen, who uh, I couldn't be more grateful for him and his leadership. Um, my family was incredibly supportive. My friends, uh, of course, my husband. So, so having all of that support around me, uh, it's, it's ultimately what propagated me. Because if I wouldn't have had that, if I would have had an athletic director um, who just told me to, you know, don't paint the university in a bad light, which other university officials and administrators definitely did. Uh, but having my athletic director and coach uh, stand alongside me. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have spoke out if it weren't for them. So uh, the support it really does mean the world. And I understand why these other girls are quiet and submissive and silent is because the threats and the risk they're real and they're used and they're. You know, we were told 
You'll never get a job. You're, you'll never get into grad school. Uh, you'll lose your scholarship. You'll lose your playing time. You'll lose your friends if you speak out. The list goes on of, of tactics they use to keep us quiet. So I understand. Last question here with Riley Gaines. I know you get this question all the time. At least I would assume you get this question all the time. I know you're fresh out of college, but when you start looking down the road, how many times do you get asked if you're going to jump into the <laughs> political realm, and what are your thoughts about that? Well, initially, I, my, my first thought is, who in the world would ever voluntarily do that to themselves? Uh, I have learned so much. I, I mentioned not knowing um, a lot about our, our civil process but now I know too much. Uh, I've certainly been eye-opened to, on both sides, you know, how, how this game, it's a game, how it works. Um, so it's kind of this, this internal battle. You know, we need good people in office who have the right intentions to do the right thing. Uh, but it's, it is a corrupt game. So do you want to involve yourself in that? I don't know. So we'll see. Uh, I think for the time being, of course, continuing in whatever capacity uh, the advocacy and activism work that's being done here because it truly is making a difference and we need people willing to fight to restore sanity in this country. Uh, so we'll see. I, um, I definitely won't, I mean, I won't rule anything out, but who would do that to themselves? <laughs> Riley, thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you. So thank you very much uh, and for all the work that you do. Very grateful. Just a very, very intelligent woman a very fascinating human being, and she has strong conviction in her beliefs of what's fair and what's not fair. And considering where we were 10 years ago, could anyone ever imagined that this would be a thing? But it is a thing. It's a big thing. And people like Riley Gaines are out there trying to prevent it from getting even worse. So again, I can't thank her enough for actually taking the time to sit down with me for 15 minutes and didn't speak to another reporter in all of Charlotte and or North Carolina or South Carolina for that matter. So I really do appreciate her taking the time to talk to me. She could not have been nicer with her time and the way she interacted with everyone because she was a guest speaker at the Republican Women of Greater Charlotte's Club on Wednesday. And she could not have been nicer to everyone, taking photos with every single person that wanted a photo, shaking hands with every single person that wanted to shake hands. There were a few hundred people there and nearly every single person there wanted to say hi to her or just be around her because she must have received, I think, four or five standing ovations throughout the day. And it was fascinating. She took the time and spoke to every single person having genuine conversations with people. You don't get that. You don't get that a lot. So... Really, all the kudos in the world to her. And again, she was fascinating. And if you ever get a chance to hear one of her speeches, I strongly suggest you do it, even if it's on YouTube. All right, when we come back, the 2023 crime stats have been released and CMPD talked about it. We'll hear from that when we come back. But right now, let's swing on over to the WBT Newsroom with Anna Erickson. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Thursday night of Breaking with Brett Jensen. Make sure you follow me on X at Brett underscore Jensen. For all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. Earlier today, CMPD met with reporters to go over the 2023 crime stats. I couldn't go there because I was dealing with Kamala Harris, the vice president who was at Eastway Middle School. And we'll get into that later on. But right now, let's concentrate on the crime stats here in 2023. The one that most people like to look at is the murders. Well, the homicide rate this year was 95 and that's down 11% from last year, because last year, I don't know, there was about 105, 6, 7, somewhere around in there. 
but it's still extremely high when compared to 2018. I think there were 58. But Scott Hamilton covered this press conference today, and it was a long press conference from CMPD going over all the different stats concerning crime. So here are a couple of people with CMPD breaking down some of the crime stats. My name is Michael, Major Michael Ford with the Special Investigations Bureau. As Chief Jennings said, one of our biggest successes this year has been keeping our violent crime flat uh, compared to the decreases we saw the last two years and despite the rapid growth of our city. On top of the violent crime staying flat, our homicides fell by 11% in 2023. Our clearance rate remained close to 80%, which helps to bring some peace to families affected by these senseless acts of violence. The national homicide clearance rate average is just above 50%, which shows how great our homicide unit really is, one of the best in the country. As we always say, every single homicide represents a member of our community whose life was ended far too soon. During these investigations, we get to learn a lot about who the victims were through their families. The sad reality is our youngest homicide victim in 2023 was just 12 years old. The oldest was 68. Homicides don't just affect family and friends. They cause ripples of devastation throughout our community. Our clearance rate is what it is because we don't forget our victims. Our detectives work tirelessly to investigate each one of these homicides. In addition, our crime scene search, lab personnel, real-time crime center, crime analysts, patrol units, and our violent criminal apprehension team all have a critical role in the investigation and help lead us to a suspect and ultimately a conviction. You've also likely seen in the news this past year the incredible work of our cold case unit using the relatively new field of forensic genetic genealogy. We're able to bring closure to families who have gone decades without answers about what really happened to their loved ones. This is something we're really excited about moving into 2024. In addition to the drop in homicides, we also saw an 8% reduction in robberies. Any reduction in violent crime in a city rapidly growing as Charlotte is no small feat and takes a holistic approach. We are strategic about placing our officers in the most critical areas of the city to increase visibility and proactively deter violent crimes. Our crime reduction units do a great job with patrols in high crime, in high crime areas. Our officers are not just simply responding to calls for service, they're taking the initiative to prevent crime through community interactions. The goal is to break cycles of violence in our community, whether that's through an arrest, a gun seizure, or simply having conversations with members of the community and sharing the information. Unfortunately, in 2023, we saw a 3% increase in overall aggravated assaults, which includes a 7% increase in aggravated assaults with a firearm. We're finding out more and more that conflicts, particularly among young people, are not being settled with words or even fists, but rather with the pull of a trigger. That is alarming to the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department. Our entire society needs to be, learn better conflict resolution, and especially among our youth. Our officers and detectives do a massive amount of work to get firearms off the streets, and we'll get some into some of that great work here in a second. But all too often, weapons are finding their way into the wrong hands and being used to commit violent acts. The unfortunate reality is that those violent acts often involve our juvenile population. A split-second decision to pull a trigger can ruin multiple lives, the victims, the suspects, and in very tragic cases, cases the lives of innocent bystanders. As we enter 2024, we're urging our residents to practice better awareness, restraint, and self-control 
and teach those principles to their children. Now back to the positives for the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department. This past year, we've taken 3,432 firearms off the streets of Charlotte. That's a 10% increase from last year. That's a great number that shows how hard, how hard our men and women work in patrol and investigations to make the city safer. I'm Sergeant Dan Bignall. I'm uh, the supervisor of the Crime Gun Suppression Team. Uh, the Crime Gun Suppression Team, or CGST, started about three years ago when we took the gang unit, we took the shooting into occupied property unit, and we took the uh, targeted response and apprehension team, and we merged them together. This team combines a special skill set uh, to investigate gun crimes uh, that happen in a series. These aren't random isolated shootings, but a part of a pattern of behavior from people uh, who often operate in groups. The CGST is a critical tool uh, in reducing violent crime, especially shootings in Charlotte. We've had some great successes and we've had some great seizures. In 2023, the crime gun suppression team locked up 212, we made 212 arrests, seized 244 firearms, 49 of those guns were reported stolen. We even seized $130,000 in cash linked to criminal activity. Unfortunately, as you'll hear today, our detectives continue to see uh, these offenders trend, trend younger. One of our, in, in 2023, juvenile suspects were involved in 108 shootings. That's a 33% increase uh, from the previous year. Uh, one of our recent crime gun cases occurred in December, December 19th, uh, where we found four teens inside a suspect vehicle that were involved in seven shootings in the span of less than a week. Uh, this included a homicide investigation. Our detectives identified and located the vehicle in Hamilton Oaks community uh, off of Betis Ford Road. Uh, Metro Division, along with CGST, uh, attempted to stop the car, but it led us on a high-speed chase. Uh, during the pursuit, the suspects threw a handgun out the window. The vehicle was tracked into York County, where uh, it was, it was recovered and the subjects were arrested. The 19-year-old behind the wheel was charged with felony plea to elude and possession of a stolen vehicle, along with resist, delay, and obstruct. Uh, the other teens, including a 17-year-old, were all charged with re resist, delay, and obstruct. Each teen has a lengthy criminal history, uh, as you can see on the screen, with more offenses uh, likely pending. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Like many of the cases Crime Gun handles, the teens were linked to shootings targeting groups of other young people. And shooting into occupied properties and homes, this behavior is so dangerous because of how common it has become and because it can result in innocent third parties being injured. Uh, we have a particularly tragic case that happened on April 23rd uh, on Burbank Drive in Metro Division. Officers found an eight-year-old girl, Olivia Velez, who was sleeping on the couch when several bullets ripped through her home. Uh, Olivia was struck with a bullet in the head. She survived, 
but suffered severe life-altering injuries. There were also multiple young people inside this house. There was a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old. This case is still ongoing, but detectives believe that the home was targeted due to a conflict between groups of young people. We see these types of reckless shootings often, teens and juveniles targeting other teens and juveniles, and shooting into vehicles and homes, uh, and some sort of retaliation that goes back and forth. Innocent people, like eight-year-old Olivia, get caught up in this violence. Like Major Ford and Chief Jennings have said, it goes beyond just the law enforcement. This isn't just a law enforcement issue, and it's become a societal issue that needs community solutions, including conflict resolution and better outlets for young people. We need to break the cycle. In the meantime, we'll continue to use all of our resources, our crime lab, our crime scene, our crime analysts to help prioritize these types of crimes and uh, try to tackle the gun-related violence in Charlotte. Once again, that was from CMPD's press conference earlier this morning about all the crime stats from 2023. And I know our reporter, Scott Hamilton, is planning on having even more stories and stuff, especially about juveniles and repeated crime and repeated offenders and stuff like that tomorrow as well. So make sure you stick to WBT for all of that. Okay, so when we return... Vice President Kamala Harris was in town today, along with a couple of other dignitaries, and they were all at Eastway Middle School to announce federal funding for something that will help hire more school counselors. But it wasn't exactly a smoothly run show. We'll talk about that when we return. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you for one more segment on Breaking with Brett Jensen on this Thursday night. Okay, before we send you off into the night, Vice President Kamala Harris was in Charlotte today. She went to Eastway Middle School to, to have a roundtable, if you will, with local community leaders and activists that are trying to help crime prevention, especially when it comes to children and kids. She was in town to announce how North Carolina is getting $12 million to hire more like guidance counselors at all these schools to help traumatize kids like get over their PSD or at the very least help them try to guide them through their PSD and make it manageable. But the entire day at Eastway Middle School was just all over the place and it was a giant cluster to be completely honest with you. Like no one knew what was going on. People at CMS were clueless because the vice president's office and the Department of Education handled all this and they basically just said, get out of the way. Like three or four uh, school board members were trying to get into Eastway Middle School to, you know, to see what was going on with the vice president. Denied. I know of one CMS member that actually had to go through a back door and be let in in a different part of the school just to gain access to the school because even though he had all access, he wasn't being allowed inside the school. It was a cluster. Like it was just from beginning to end, and it lasted way longer than it should have been. I was there nearly five hours, and it was for like 15 minutes worth of audio. It was just, it was it was awfully run, and this wasn't a CMS thing. So this had absolutely nothing to do with CMS. This was all about the vice president and the Department of Education. Well, she spoke for quite a while, and I just grabbed for two minutes. This is the most relevant thing that she said. I'm not going to bore you with a lot of the other details, but I am going to talk to you and let you hear what she had to say specifically about North Carolina. 
So we're here today to talk about many things, including the need for gun, smart gun safety laws, reasonable gun safety laws, but the trauma and what we must do then to assist in the diagnosis and treatment of that trauma. And for all of those reasons, I am proud to be here at this very school to make an announcement, which is that we are announcing $285 million as part of our administration's initiative to hire and train mental health counselors in schools. In North Carolina, 12 million of those dollars will be received, Mayor, um, which will include the ability and resources to hire 332 new counselors and nationally will help to hire over 14,000 mental health counselors for our schools who can do the kind of work which is to lead in group counseling sessions, one-on-one -on -one therapy, and student mediation, um, social and emotional lessons every day, and just provide a place where those who are trained to do this work can allow the students and the children to check in and to heal. So with all of that again, um, and our announcement previously of over $6 million for students at, at, at schools in, in communities with high rates of gun violence, we are putting the resources where they are needed. More resources are needed, no doubt. But let's pay attention to this issue because we can actually do something about it. And we have the opportunity then to address what we know will otherwise be generational and intergenerational trauma. Trauma is something that is not genetically inherited, but it is inherited in terms of if untreated, if there's no intervention, what continues to be trauma building up in communities. And so again, I thank everyone here for your courage, for your leadership. And with that, I'm gonna turn it back to Secretary Cardona to mediate and moderate our discussion. There you go, Vice President Kamala Harris. You can always count on her for good sound bites. All right, that's going to do it for tonight. Have a great night. Look forward to doing it all over again tomorrow as tomorrow I break down the District 8 election. I'm Brett Jensen, and you've been listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen.